0: everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is John Hope Bryant. John is recognized as one of Time Magazine's 50 for the Future Leaders. He's an entrepreneur, author, and advisor, and one of the nation's most recognized empowerment leaders. He is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Operation Hope and Bryant Group Companies. He is the author of Love Leadership, and is the only African-American best-selling business author. He served as chairman of the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability, Subcommittee on the Underserved and Community, community Empowerment, and he was appointed by President Obama in 2014 as a member of the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability for Young Americans. He is also the co-founder of the Gallup Hope Index, the only national research poll on youth financial dignity and youth economic energy in the United States. He is also the author of a new book called How the Poor Can Save Capitalism, Rebuilding the Path to the Middle Class. This is a fascinating book one we're going to discuss today, and I am so honored to have with me John Hope Bryant. Welcome, John.
1: My deep honor. Thanks for your care and your interest.
0: You know, I touched on a bit of your very impressive background in my introduction. Now, you were raised in a stable home with two loving parents. Your dad was a business owner. So please tell me how you came to do what you do today.
1: Well, I mean, it's all role modeling. My, my, as you just mentioned, my father owned his own business for 54 years. My mother told me she loved me every day of my life, and I was lucky enough to believe it. Um, and when I was 9 years old, uh, a banker came to my classroom in Cobb, uh, in California, and taught a course in financial literacy and home economics, uh, a course which doesn't exist anymore. And it, the banker happened to have on a red uh, tie and a white shirt and a blue suit. It happened to be Caucasian, but it didn't matter what race he was. As far as I was concerned, he was the color of green as in U.S. currency. And um, I remember asking the banker, what do you do for a living? And How do you get rich legally? And uh, the banker, after he left, told me that he, uh, he, he, he financed entrepreneurs. And I just said, I don't know what an entrepreneur is, but I want to be one. <laughs> and uh, it just changed my life. And um, um, I started my first business the next year, the neighborhood candy house, and put the liquor store out of the candy business uh, when I was 10 years old. Uh, and that kicked off the endorphins on the right side of my brain. <laughs> um, um, and, I was, it was, and that was for the next 10 years. I, I was starting something, uh, and most of them failed, but it didn't matter. Because while the business might have been failing, I was succeeding as a person. My economic energy was getting organized. My optimism was being improved. My sense of resiliency was growing. I was taking no for vitamins. I mean, uh, I was succeeding. And uh, internally, building my sense of wealth. And, of course, I define poverty differently in this book.
0: How do you define poverty in the book?
1: Um, Half of poverty is just low self-esteem. It's just like a, a lack of belief in yourself. Um, As I keep saying, and, and I'm trying to say this enough so that it just really in people's consciousness, if you don't know who you are at 9 in the morning, by midnight the same day, somebody's going to tell you who you are. Um, if you don't have confidence in yourself in this world, this world will eat you, will, will just eat you alive. I mean, you will not succeed. Uh, you can't get out of your bed sometimes and get out the front door uh, without being battered by the world. Without belief in yourself, you can't do this radio program, and Barbara can't produce it. Without fundamental confidence in yourself, um, and so that low self-esteem most prevalent in African American and uh, Native American populations because of their experience in this country uh, over generations. By the way, because everything is about role modeling, and, is, and at some point becomes embedded DNA as, as, a, as a result of experiences, and success builds on success, and so does failure build on failure, and uh, becomes a culture. Uh, things that we can get over, by the way, but things that are embedded realities. Half of poverty self low self-esteem. Then you got the second part, which is role modeling and environment. Um, why the kids want to be rap stars, athletes, and drug dealers in the cities? Because that's what they see. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be surprised that a kid grows up wanting to be a rap star, an athlete, or a drug dealer in an urban neighborhood because those are the only aspirational symbols of success that they see. And everybody's aspirational. Mm-hmm. And then the last part of, of poverty is is, uh, is aspiration and opportunity. Uh, let me go back to the second part about the role modeling of environment. So basically the, the visual there is if you hang around nine broke people, you'll be the tenth. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that then leads to aspiration, code word for hope. The person with the most dangerous person in the world, the person with no hope, and that then leads to opportunity. If you don't see opportunity in your life, you 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 stop aspiring and striving before you even start. Think about kids dropping out of high school uh, at a thirty to seventy percent rate. They're they're basically saying you're not connecting education with aspiration, so why bother?
0: You know, you you kind of glossed over that sentence, but I found that. Incredibly powerful. You said that the most dangerous person in the world is a person without hope. And I was particularly um, mulling that over as I was listening to the news about what's happening, um, you know, in the Gaza Strip, in the Middle East, what's happening in the Ukraine, um, and what's happening in inner cities. When you lose hope, you actually have nothing to lose. And so, I guess you, you just will do whatever it takes to, to restore that, that sense of hope and self-esteem.
1: Well, that's precisely why we've launched Project 5117. Um, city by city, that's why we're putting in place uh, our own ecosystem. Uh, the establishing the first ever private banker for the working poor, the struggling class, and the teetering middle class who make $50,000 a year or less, basically we have the population. Is making $50,000 a year or less uh, in this country of, of all races. And they've got, they've got too much money at the end of their money and they are, they are getting depressed, losing hope, losing faith. And we're losing role models. And the, then, of course, the negative role models are taking over. So
0: we're mm-hmm. going
1: to put 2,000 Hope Biz in the Box Academies in public schools um, and spike what I hope will be a million startup entrepreneurs by 2020. That's what, if you want to solve America's problems, you need a million startups a year. It just solves everything because all job growth comes from startups, shootouts, entrepreneurs, and small businesses in year three through year seven.
0: Now, your book is really focused on the american model of capitalism it's it's very different from some of the models that you actually mention in the book like the the grameen bank and and microfinance you um actually want people to work within the capitalist system and make it work for them and them actually is <laughs> as you keep on pointing out it's the 90% yeah
1: well, them is us. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, well, first of all, um, I think what Muhammad Yunus has done at the Grameen Bank is nothing short of extraordinary. And he's made an incredible impact on the world. And I think where there is no banking system at all, uh, putting together and putting in place a micro-credit, micro uh, credit, microfinance system for the least of these God's children is, is God's work. Well we don't have that problem in America and, and, in, and in France I mean there's a banking system uh, in every developed country, there is a banking system. It's just that people don't have any ready access to it, and it's not serving them. It's serving a very small, increasingly it's very small elite with that joke. I can, I'll give you my, I'll lend you money when you prove you don't need it <laughs> and, 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 and banking is the only industry that's not been commoditized in 2500 years of modern uh, mankind history it's just since the time of Jesus. Every other industry is in commoditized. I go through them in the book, uh, How the said Capitalism, in great detail. I, go, I talk about the automobile industry. It, it was a toy for the wealthy. Not a toy. It was a privilege for the wealthy. The automobile, the uh, restaurants, uh, even indoor plumbing, toilets. I mean, you, you know, refrigerators, uh, microwaves, I mean, cell phones. All these things were created for the, the, the privilege, but you can't create a market economy based on the privilege. So it was when all the least of these guys children, you and me got a hold of these things that they became sustainable. I mean, look, the largest retail in the world is not even markets, it's Walmart. Um, and the second runner-up was Target. I mean, you, and, 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 and the stores that uh, the wealth to do go to are way down the line uh, in, in economic vitality and growth. Uh, so you and me are driving this economy, but we, we, don't, we get little credit for it. Uh, and and oftentimes because we never got the memo on how free enterprise and capitalism works, we have no idea how to participate in it. And then we assume that the system is rigged against us and must be designed for crooks and and and, and the, the always rich because we, no matter how hard we work, we can't seem to get ahead. And that's and there's a reason for that. And by the way, when you can't figure that out, you become poor too. You lose hope. You start feeling like your children won't do as good as you you have, and you start. Uh, panicking, and you start uh, you start aching in your bones that, the, that you're working so hard, and don't seem to be getting ahead. And again, you got too much money into your money, and and life becomes about the grind versus about the dream. And but but when you never got the memo, when no one ever taught you about free, about free enterprise and capitalism, not for three months you didn't get the memo. 149 years.
2: Mm.
1: Then then life begins to make sense. And you stop feeling that you 're a failure there 's something wrong with you you 're stupid, uh, or worse, the system is gaming you
0: you talk about a community whose culture was hijacked by thugs and the thug culture um, it 's funny I was just watching a program on OPB last night about the the years of Al Capone at the, the the years of the uh, the, the 20s and 30s. And there was also this drug culture, and there was also um, economic um, disaster uh, looming. Uh, it, It seems like history is kind of replaying itself. So what did we do to get ourselves out of the Depression in the 30s, that um, then was forgotten. And, and what you're doing kind of has a bit of that feel to me.
1: You, you know, you're the first uh, uh, person since the book came out to ask such a, a, a really uh, thoughtful uh, and I think visionary question. Uh, it's a right question because it's exactly what we were uh, right before and right after uh the Great Depression. Uh and uh of course the, the Big Bang that we did resulted in the Marshall Plan in nineteen uh forty seven, uh where we rebuilt uh the nations that had bombed us, Germany and Japan, which seemed uh, highly illogical at the time. But it was a visionary move by our political uh leadership and it was selfish too. It was in our enlightened self interest. They knew that you uh, could not have a peaceful world. They knew you could not have a global economy. With France and uh, Europe, by extension, and Japan and Asia, by extension, on its knees, that uh, that these people were not the, the, the problem. Their leadership was the problem. And uh, to punish the entire nation would be winning a battle and losing a war, which is, by the way, what we're doing these days politically is we're not only winning uh, the battle. We're losing the war. We're winning the battles, and it was reversed. Now they they didn't want to win the battle and lose the war. We seem to want these days to to win the battle and lose the war. And that's what the uh, current uh, set of uh, leadership uh, is, is increasingly uh, trending toward. But I am convinced we can turn it around. What we did back then was we focused on our aspirations. He focused on creating jobs. He focused on resetting the banking industry so it could serve small business, uh, small shopholders back in that appeared that, that the agrarian age. But, but this talking about Germany and Japan and the Marshall Plan, to finish that line, of thought, uh, who's our largest trading partners today? Germany and Japan. Who's two, what's two of the largest economies in the world today? Germany and Japan. Uh, who are two political allies? Germany and Japan. Uh, and, and America became a global economic uh, power and we, we created, created a global economic system after World War II, after the Marshall Plan. It was a soft power that informed and reinforced the hard power. It wasn't the war. It was winning the peace uh, and creating a middle class that was so transformative. Uh, and, and then you had political leadership that was bold enough uh, to think outside the box. I mean, where did retirement come from? We take retirement uh, as a... Uh, you know, a, a, a demigod these days, a little g. But retirement, and we can meet people say, oh, at 65, I'm done. I have no value. But retirement was a political answer by the president after the Great Depression to get 18 year olds back to work by, by letting 65 year olds, then 60 year olds, quote, retire. And it was a European concept. He sort of sent his uh, emissaries around the world to find solutions to jobs, to, to join to, 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 to And they came back and said, well, they got this thing in Europe. Call retirement, uh, and they let people, uh, uh, you know, stop working at a certain time. Where you know, before that, we worked till 80 years old until you dropped. Mm-hmm. So, the job creation in the short term, this is government job, is to spur, encourage, and create the enabling environment. The job creation ultimately, uh, initially, came from 18-year-olds uh, who were able to work because 60-year-olds stopped working and were able to enjoy uh, some of the years of their life. We've now taken retirement. As some uh, definition of our our value in the workforce and society is over. I just think that's de- I think that's dead wrong. I think you should rewire, and not retire. We sort of <laughs> lost our storyline. Is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. You um, talk about the. Uh, the WPA, the, the infrastructure that was created uh, as part of that job-building program here in this country is now all crumbling. And um, maybe it's time for an investment in rebuilding our own infrastructure. And in fact, I think you point to that in your book.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. But uh, uh, with all of this, I'm making it very clear, just so your audience is clear on where I'm coming from. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about communism. I'm talking about capitalism. And I'm saying that the government can create an enabling environment for the expansion and the broadening of what I might call open-source capitalism uh, so that the least of these guys' children can benefit from the free enterprise system. And uh, most wealth in this country came from the poor, and I can have documented that in the book. And working the working person, or oddly enough, through government. You know, where, when we go to war, mm-hmm. they need to think about where those products came from. Where do the jeeps come from? Where the trucks come from? Where the tanks come from? Where the planes come from? Oh, that's Boeing. That's Ford. That's I mean, those are contracts let to private enterprise by government to facilitate the delivery of the mechanisms of war as an example um, uh, but almost you know everything we see ultimately comes from the free enterprise system the private sector, 92% of our jobs in the day in America are private sector, 8% of jobs are government uh, and so it's not one or the other It's we need government uh, to provide as you mentioned uh, safe streets, infrastructure in mean, New York City supposedly the Beacon of self-reliance and free enterprise wouldn't work without a subway system, wouldn't work without safe streets. But that's a public investment. So yes, I'm calling for a resurgence, a renewal. But I'm also saying for the first time that the that the tail has to now wag the dog. That for the first time ever, we've never we've never tried to use free enterprise and capitalism at scale to eradicate poverty and to set people free. I think the new freedom is self-determination. So I'm saying the government plays a supporting role the government in the past has played a lead
0: role you focus a lot on um, reviving, exciting, and lifting the entrepreneurial spirit of today 's youth. Um, you even talk about um, the the criminal culture as being one example of entrepreneurial spirit that I found rather amusing. Um, that uh, if we could kind of harness that impulse, that energy into positive directions, we would have a really good chance in reviving the the economies of these cities. Tell us what you are doing to encourage this.
1: Yeah, so let me go one step further than what you articulated. Uh, I'm not suggesting that the, we uh, should encourage, um, uh, uh, obviously, uh, you're not saying this, but I'm just to be clear in my sure suggesting we encourage uh, things like drug dealing and all that kind of stuff. Nor am I saying that these are some uh, oddball occurrences? I'm saying that the folks that we call entrepreneurs in mainstream, mature, reasonable societies, upper-middle-class neighborhoods, is the drug dealer in a poor neighborhood, that, that God did not give intelligence unevenly. He didn't just give intelligence to, to you know, wealthy, uh, white, Asian, whatever, 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 upper uh, income people and then told all black, brown, supposedly poor, and by the way, there's more poor whites in America than poor anybody else, anybody who thinks this is a racial issue. Uh, but but the vision of people is that poor poverty somehow black and brown and urban, blah, 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 but God gave intelligence equally. You just have in these low wealth environments no positive aspirational role models for success. So again, if all you see in your neighborhood are rap stars, athletes, and drug dealers, with everybody wanting to be aspirational, why is anybody surprised? The kids grew up wanting to be rap stars, athletes, and drug dealers. Now, my wife tells me that girls are wanting to be um, um, uh, not uh, what is it, Janae? It's not prostitutes; it's uh, uh, in clubs these dancers in the club, strippers. They want to be strippers. Uh, it just blows me away. But, but these are, these are this, is, this is what irrationality does to you when, when that's the only symbol of aspiration and success you see in your neighborhood. Now, a drug dealer may be unethical, immoral. It may be a special place in hell reserved for somebody who sells death to their own community, Mary. But one thing they're not is dumb.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They understand import, export, demands, marketing. Wholesale, retail, customer service, security, care- territory—these are not dumb people; they're misdirected people. So, what we're going to do is take that natural entrepreneurial talent and organize it. Give them, uh, put them in these 2,000 Hope Business Box Academies in public schools. Ultimately, want to go into the penal system as well. Uh, get a kid a course in financial literacy. Make sure they're outside role models. Teaching these courses now, so they can uh, they can role model outside success with a suit on. Course in financial literacy, course in entrepreneurship. 25 businesses you can start for 500 bucks or less. Well, John, you're,
0: you're actually going a little quickly past some of these initiatives, which I found quite fascinating. Can we just spend a moment and talk about the financial literacy courses that you're envisioning?
1: You know, I'm not, I'm not used to media people telling me that I'm going too quickly. I need to spend a moment. They're normally they're saying, can you please talk a little faster. So I'm, I'm pleased to slow down. <laughs> God bless your program.
0: So, financial literacy, what are you doing to uh, inculcate that in the young people?
1: Well, I, I think that this is the language of money. I mean, this is no different than you can't go to Japan and speak Russian and, and do and do very well. You can't go to Mexico uh, and speak Portuguese. Maybe some people will understand you, but most people won't. Uh, so you've got a whole generation, sorry, generations of people who grown up in America, a capitalist country, who don't speak the free enterprise and capitalist language. Financial literacy is the global language of money. And when you don't understand the language of money and you don't have a bank account, you're in economic slave. So the first thing we've got to do is teach them the language of money. Now, now, if you want to put a kid to sleep, you give them a traditional financial literacy course. So we're not going to talk to them about 401K programs and <laughs> the... It was the retirement programs and an IRA account. I mean, she's just it's so boring. We're going to, to connect it to their aspirations, which is what I was talking about, about the Hope Business Box Academies and the uh, startup grants and the pitch events. What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Let's now tie your financial literacy into that dream and connect education with aspiration, and then all the lights come on. So we're going to... Uh, give them a language in not just money but r- connect that to their role to their desired mm-hmm. success. We're gonna basically reintroduce into their own God given potential. Everybody is born with the potential to succeed. Everybody's born basically perfect. But we learned words now this is deep now. And we weren't we learned words like I can't, impossible. Uh, we learn negativity. We learn uh, to be uh, to be cynical, but we're born optimistic. What we learn we we learn uh, that hope, supposedly, is uh, um, for the naive. That's what we learn. We want to unlearn those things, mm-hmm. and we also have learned what we're against. We become experts in what we're against, and we need to re-inject that with helping people understand once again what they're for, so that they can then operationalize that in their life. And that starts with a course. In financial literacy. This should be required K-12 through for every kid in America. We live in a free enterprise system. We're not teaching anybody the free enterprise system. It's just, we're just winging it. This is just crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you also point out that particularly in poor neighborhoods uh where the the people with a credit score of 500 uh do not have access to bank accounts uh to credit cards they're then at the mercy of the the payday lenders and really modern day loan sharks it's um, slavery it, it, it is economic <laughs> slavery absolutely
1: yeah. so yeah, this is modern day slavery t- because
0: yeah, Tell us got, what you're I mean, doing you, on that score.
1: Yeah, and and again, this is not this is not racism. It's not based on race. It's not even active discrimination. I mean, nobody's waking up in the morning and say, "Ooh, let me, you know, conspire to make you miserable." Uh, what people are bad capitalists are waking up and saying, you know, you don't get it. Uh, actually, you do get it. You you get. That you have a 500 credit score, or uh, you don't get your 500 credit score, but you, you get that at, at a 500 credit score, there are certain things that are attractive to you. You've got low self-esteem and low levels of financial uh, IQ and low levels of financial engagement and low levels of options. And so I've got high levels of abuse coming your way. So you've got these these check cashers next to payday loan lenders, next to rent-to-own stores, next to title lenders, next to liquor stores that are basically target marketing. They're targeting a 500 credit score customer. And what I'm going to do with Hope Inside Network, the private banker for the working poor, the struggling class, and the teetering middle class, a thousand locations we're putting in across this country, we're going to rob them of their customer by moving credit scores 120 points over 24 months. And nothing changes your life more than God or love than moving your credit score 120 points. Mm.
0: How did you find these partners? You actually got several banks uh, to partner with you.
1: Yeah, we've gotten 80 location commitments, almost 100. Um, The 20 additional commitments aren't done yet, so I don't want to count them yet, but we got close to 100 commitments, uh, 80 confirmed in the last 250 days. It's not a pipe dream. SunTrust Bank started it off, then PNC Bank and Regions Bank and Popular Community Bank and... Bank of the West was one of our original uh, profile partners at Union Bank and uh, Microsoft and Accenture. And all these name brand uh, companies have signed on because it's doing good and doing well, but creating sustainable customers, too. Marion, if we, if we raise credit scores to 700, uh, we're creating a new sustainable customer for a mainstream institution. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's, uh, that's where Everybody wins. Everybody wins. When that happens, and the and Marion, the the local mayor, uh, gets a tax base because people with a 700 credit score, well, that neighborhood, that that liquor store is going to turn into a convenience store in five years. That check cash is going to turn into a credit union in the bank. That bank's going to start making loans for home ownership because people with a larger, a higher credit score want to own something. And they and half of employers require require a credit check, which makes so now you now you can actually go get a job. Now you got a job. Uh, you're gonna own something. You're gonna pay taxes. You're gonna pay property taxes. You're gonna pay. Cons- you're gonna pay sales tax, and you're gonna ta- pay. And, and you're gonna contribute to uh, payroll tax. Uh, that's what drives infrastructure investment in a city that then mayor then has dollars for schools, for police, for roads and gutters. I mean, boom! That poor neighborhood now became an emerging market. See, it really ain't that complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. You said that we don't so much have an economic crisis in America, but rather a crisis of virtues and
1: values.
0: Can you expand on that?
1: Yes, that we're not human doings, we're human beings. Uh, Deepak Chopra, the great author, said we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But life's all about energy. And it's all about leadership. I'll give you. i I'll, I'll give you two quick examples. One is a, 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 a pretty radical example. We have been thinking about solving poverty numerically, and uh, so what we do, we go, we go build new schools, and we give people new housing, and we, you know, and then we find that four, five, eight years later, it's all tore up, and things aren't any better because people aren't things. <laughs> you give me the most tore up school the most toe-up house on the most toe-up block. And I didn't say tore. I I said intentionally toe, as they say in my neighbor, toe up. And and, and give me a great crack leadership team. Let me pick my leadership team, and I'll just clean everybody's clock. My kids will be graduating from that school. We will revitalize those homes. We will will create a block club. We will become our own community police because it's a stakeholder's mentality. Nobody washes a rental car. If you don't own it, you're not going to take care of it. But we, but it all starts with people. Even on Wall Street, people are investing in companies, but they're really buying management teams. It's the management team that's leading the asset that's most valuable. So we're looking for love in all the wrong places is what I'm saying. It's, it is a crisis of virtues and values, but we're, we're identifying with the wrong metrics. If I give a homeless guy a million bucks, Marianne, he'll be broken six months. But that's what philanthropy has meant for the last 50 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was really struck in reading your book about the parallels between the kind of sickness of our society and something I, I interviewed, um, a doctor, Tian Sheng Su, um, last year. He wrote a book called The Secret to Healing Cancer. And he said that he is convinced that hopelessness about the future is the real cause of cancer. That when you need to trust your body and have self-confidence and belief in the value of your existence um, in order to to heal yourself if you come down with it or to avoid it. And when you when you think of that parallel in our society, we really do have this cancer of poverty and I, I just thought that you were so spot on when you said that the the fundamental problem was hopelessness. So um, yes, and
1: I, and I agree to that. I agree with that that uh, premise hundred uh, percent. Somebody once said, and I think this is dead on: disease is dis-ease. Now, uh, are there carve outs to this? Of course there are. If you grew up in an agrarian environment where pesticides were sprayed for 40 years on all of the plants and in the soil, and then that the pesticides in the plant and the soil embedded, and that those fruits and vegetables came into your house, and you ate that for 30 years growing up, 20 years growing up. Could you get cancer that way? Yes, you can. But most, uh, uh, again, we're 70% water. We're all energy. I think most disease is disease. Is what, exactly what the doctor said. I, I haven't been. I mean, I'm sure that something will happen to me at some point because thats life. But, Mary, I'm, Mary, I haven't been sick in 23 years. I've been, I've been running Operation Hope for 23 years, and I haven't been sick. And my, my chief of staff jokes that God knew I couldn't afford to get sick because I got to meet payroll every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you know, I—I I just my attitude and my optimism. I mean, I should be exhausted right now. I—I'm doing a day. A, a, a city a day. I'm doing interviews. I'm doing speeches. I'm still running Operation Hope. I'm on planes. I'm in cars. I'm in different environments. I'm in different hotels. And and uh, and I just get energized by these conversations. I get energized by the work we're doing. I get energized by having a client come to me and saying that they're they a member of the 700 uh, credit score club. I get energized by a young person, 23 years old, walking to me and giving the business card and saying, I'm a young entrepreneur. You've inspired me to take my life back. And all, all of a sudden, I, I'm no longer. Uh, without energy. And by the way, uh, if, if any of your listeners uh, experience being tired, this is a great example. You just go get a new job. You, you, either you've t- you know, you, you got the wrong husband, the wrong wife, the wrong job, the wrong career, because when you're doing what you're passionate about, you may be worn out. You may be exhausted. You may cannot type one more word before you get, get re-energized, but you'll never be tired.
0: mm you remind me of this comment that you made that um, no society can ach- achieve sustainable success by focusing only on what it 's against um, you're you're encouraging people <laughs> and incidentally, I think our politicians and pundits didn 't quite get that memo um, what What should we be for what is the kind of vision that you're holding that energizes you every day?
1: Um, the, the, the thing that energizes me, well, let me back up and say that I think the reason that that our so-called leaders do that is that they don't know what the answer really is, and they're faking it. Uh, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. Dr. King it was different from most civil rights leaders uh, because he was an optimist. He was an expert in what he was for not what he was against. He was the only black leader of that time talking to white America. Everybody else was black leaders talking to black America. Uh, yeah, he, wasn't, he was not one of the leaders fanning flames of fear. He was uh, providing a vision for hope, providing leadership for the future. What did he say to all of America, I'm here to save black men's bodies and white men's souls, that the movement was out Redeeming the soul of America from the triple evils of war, racism, and poverty. He was speaking. He was calling. He was enrolling us in a larger vision—a vision that exceeded in grasp, bold, audacious—that spoke to our human energy and our optimism that we were born with and our potential to change the world. I mean, all of us. I'm not trying to get spiritual here. Basically, all of us are God's children. Now, that—think about that. If you're God's child, then technically, you have the capacity with enough self-definition. Uh, and this is to become like Jesus. Now, none of us will get there because we're highly imperfect and we don't have the ability to suffer like Jesus. But you can become Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and Jason. Um, and and maybe that's Nelson Mandela. Maybe that's Gandhi. Maybe that's Mother Teresa. Maybe that's what we're seeing in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know, we get these prophets, uh, Maryland to Rosa Parks, uh, Mary, uh, Mary Wright Edelman in today's day and age, uh, Dr. Dor- Dr. Dorothy Height, uh, who come along, um, you know, and, and reimagine everything. Now we never, we really have had very few of those profits in the business sector. <laughs> um, but I think that that, that that that's the next iteration. Is we've got to have some disciples out here who believe you can do well and do good, do well by doing good. That you can, that you can actually save the, the, the that you can actually save the environment and, and the and the ecosystem for a new generation or two or three or four uh and still make a few bucks that actually you can actually make make a few bucks saving the environment that there will be businesses businesses and industries that get created out of out of out of nothing more than an idea tied to uh, environmental sustainability that there, there's this, there's this perception that if you do one you can't do the other that the only way you get paid is by raping intelligent people that's just stupid or or people who just don't know how to make any money and don't know where jobs come from just start saying stupid things, and the things that they are most comfortable with fuel your insecurity and your pain because you're depressed and you want somebody to to basically give you public psychotherapy by reaffirming how 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 painful how in, how pained you are. But these politicians, to the quote a friend of mine, would say uh... their version of leadership is when you're being run out of town, get in front of the crowd, make it like a parade. <laughs> When, when, when people are, are are looking like a mob, you just get in front of the mob and put your finger up and see which way the mob is going and call yourself a leader. That's not leadership. So I think they don't know what the answer looks like, so they're just faking it. And I think that what, what gives me so much hope is the things that we've been talking about here in this, uh, in this 40 minutes we've been talking, Mary, are not rocket science. It's a radical movement of common sense. And I think that most of your listeners are sitting there and their heads are nodding. And You know, I don't know. Seventy percent of what I'm saying, but it's not because I'm some brilliant guy. I'm not, all right. I'm just I'm just committed to role modeling, and I'm committed to common sense, and I'm committed to two, one plus two equals you know uh, three, one and two plus two equals four, and I'm, I'm you know it's it's a logic table, but it's mm-hmm. tied into and wrapped around a spiritual rec- rec- recognition of our somebodiness, and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's also acknowledging, to quote my friend Jim Clifton, uh, CEO of Gallup, that an innovation without a, without a customer standing next to it is not a business, that what people want today in the world are jobs. What's, if you want to solve the, the, uh, the problem with uh, uh, Islamic extremism, it's solve poverty. You, you want to solve the social strife in the world, solve poverty. you want to solve the crisis in the world, solve poverty. How do you solve poverty? A job. A J-O-D. That's the crisis in the world. It ain't rocket science. And then you say, who knows how to create jobs? Well, there's your problem.
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And then, and then we look at the jobs like love in all the wrong places. Because people think the jobs come from big businesses and government. Governments are broke, and big businesses don't grow on people. They grow on efficiencies. you got 974 businesses in America that employ 10,000 people or more. Less than 1,000. But everybody's telling their kids to grow up, Go to college, get a lot of student loan debt, and go work for a big company. Who's not hiring? Where all jobs come from startups, shoot ups, entrepreneurs, and small business owners in year three through year seven. That's where all job growth comes from. And half of American, Americans are working for companies with 100 employees or less. Mm-hmm. So I think a million startups a year is where we should be focusing. A million. But,
0: Tell us about Business in a Box.
1: Uh, business in a Box is where we're going to go into 2000. The elementary, middle, and high schools—the tougher the schools, the better. We're going to teach kids a course in dignity, values, a course in financial literacy, a course in entrepreneurship—a primer course taught by outside role models because, uh, for the reasons that i articulated earlier—and that at five percent of role models, every community stabilizes. That's the University of Illinois study that's cited in the book *Tipping Point* by Malcolm Gladwell. Five percent of role models, every community stabilizes. Then we're going to give every kid 25 businesses they can start for 500 bucks or less let them pick a business and then pitch that business in their auditorium at a pitch event think shark tank for kids twice a year when the kids win boom they get two minutes to pitch their idea when they win they win up to 500 bucks get a business role model assigned to them and they get uh uh a a tablet that's awarded to them they get to keep with internet uh, connectivity and they get a bank account because the only way you can get the money uh, to start the business that we we appoint, that we award you is by accessing a bank account. Now you're solving the $40 unbanked and underbanked crisis that we have in this crisis, but you're not going to solve it by by giving people a lecture about opening a bank account no different than you're not going to solve a kid's diet by giving a lecture about fruits and vegetables. (laughs) So we're gonna to speak to people's aspirations and, and we're gonna connect kids' aspirations to education and actually make them wanna to go to school again. A quick story young young guys in Atlanta were going through a whole business in the box in an urban school and one of my guys was in a restroom stall and they didn't know he was in there and he got kick kicked the door in and kicked the door in and and, uh, in and, uh, and said uh, Oh, this is BS. You know, we did that pitch event. you know we should have won. You know we were the best. And the other guy said with them, yeah, man, but the other team were more prepared. They, you know, they 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 they, 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 they had on uh, bow ties. They, they had matching bow ties and matching uniform. Another, another kid said, yeah, man, there was another team that seemed to be, uh, uh, they, like they prepared, like they rehearsed. We didn't rehearse. And then the first kid said, yeah, that's okay. We're going to win next time. Now, Miriam, you can't win next time unless you stay in school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. That's like the kids who want to play football. And we'll make sure they get a minimum grade point average uh, in school so they can continue to play football because their aspiration is football. People will do what they want to reach their aspirations. That's my bet.
0: Now, you have this program, 5117. What is that?
1: Project 5117 is 5 million kids that make smart cool so, so their kids can stay in school or want to stay in school. That's going to be co-chaired or is co-chaired by Quincy Jones and Ambassador Andrew Yaw. Uh, then you've got one million kids, and that's about changing the culture, making smart cool again. And then you've got one million kids who go through Hope and Box Academies. That's what we just described. Creating a generation of economic energy entrepreneurs and small business owners right out of high school, connecting the education to a job or economic opportunity. And then 1,000 Hope Inside locations, that's what I described earlier, the Starbucks of Financial Inclusion create a national banking that for the poor and the working class, the private banker for the teetering class. And then seven is 700 credit scores, which all this leads to, which changes school by school, neighborhood by neighborhood, changes their whole ecosystem by changing their culture, by changing their reality.
0: This is an incredibly um, big vision, Uh Tell us how people go about getting involved in it.
1: Uh, They uh, well, first of all, thank you for this interview. It's been very rich. They go to they can search on the internet for Project Fifty One Seventeen. Research it, look at at what makes sense for them. They they don't have time, but have a few a few dollars. They can invest in the kids, hope business in the box academy for fifty bucks to five hundred bucks. That's that kid that's in little lemonade stand around the corner from their house or in another city. If they've got uh, uh, no money but they've got time, become a business role model uh, uh, in Hope Business Box Academy or become a financial literacy teacher in a Banking on Our Future program. Or if you don't understand money, become uh, a dignity teacher in the course in dignity because everybody can share their own personal story. There's a place for everybody. If you've got a, you're running a university or a retailer or a grocery store or a bank or a corporation, Bring hope inside of your uh, location, hope inside, literally hope inside. Uh, If you have employee base that makes $50,000 a year less, bring us in to work with that employee base. There's something for everywhere, everybody, but basically we're giving free software, Maryam, free software for folks who make commitments to go change their own community. We'll give you all the tools to do it. Or you can encourage us to come in your neighborhood, and if we do, we bring in one of the Intellectual Property Rights, the software solutions that we described in this program, uh, Hope Inside, Hope Business in the Box Academies, to help you create transformational change in your community.
0: And I assume that you have um, multiple websites. What is, what is the main website that people should uh, check this out on?
1: Uh, they can go to operationhope.org for Project 5117. They can go to johnhopebryant.com to get information on how to get a copy of How the Poor Can Save Capitalism, which is now a bestseller. You can, of course, always go to Apple, uh, Apple's iBooks and Amazon.com and Barnes and & Noble and others uh, to purchase a copy of the book. If you walk into the airport, go to Hudson Books. It's everywhere. you got to mm-hmm. surrounded. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me ask you, was Hope always your middle name?
1: No, no. Uh, it's, in, it's legal. It, it is my legal name. Uh, but about uh, 10 years ago, uh, we had the courts uh, to legalize it because everybody was calling me John O'Brien and business cards and not business cards, but plane tickets were being issued uh, in the name of John O'Brien. I couldn't get on a plane and go out of the country because my legal name and my nickname didn't match. So we just we just synced it up.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. So, John, uh, what what message would you like to tie up this interview with what message to to the american public
1: it's just very simple our best years are not behind us they are ahead of us that you cannot have a rainbow without a storm first that there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with us except that we never got the memo of how free enterprise and capitalism works and that poor neighborhoods are actually emerging markets and that that young lady works as a housekeeper in your house uh, is not a liability. Uh, she is the best of America's assets, and she's driving the largest economy on the planet with her consumer spending. She needs to be need taking care of her daycare. We need to be giving her a massage on her shoulders. We need to be brushing her hair for her. We need to make, we give her psychotherapy and counseling, whatever she needs to make her life better. We need to be supporting her uh, because she's driving the largest economy on the planet. And we need to be much more humble uh, about where solutions come from. We need to be about, be about what we're for and not what we're against. And we need to understand that rainbows only follow storms. You cannot have a rainbow without a storm first. Finally, let's stop bashing immigrants. This nation was created by immigrants. Everybody but Native American Indians uh, came here by boat, plane, train. Uh, but this place was not ours. We are all vagabonds. And once we get here, after a few generations, we start calling us Americans and everybody else those foreigners. Now, we need need to find a legal path in, all that kind of stuff. Great. But understand that 40% of all the Fortune 500 companies are immigrant-founded. We are the greatest nation in the world because of our diversity, not in spite of it. Amen.
0: Amen. We've been speaking with John Hope Bryant about his book, How the Poor Can Save Capitalism, Rebuilding the Path to the Middle Class. His website is OperationHope.org. John, thank you for your work, and thank you so much for being with us today.
1: My deep pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Remember that all the books we discuss are listed on our website, ncreview.com, along with many hundreds of books, reviews, interviews, and videos that might provide just the right message at the right time for you. Come and visit. The browsing is fine. Next week, we have a double header with two very interesting guests, intuitive healer Patty Conklin and poet Frederick Glacier. And now we're going to close with our Track of the Week by Amy Steinberg, one of my favorites called Exactly. Play by the gutsy and soulful Amy Steinberg from her album Must Be the Moon. Amy sings of self love, open mindedness, and the holiness of everything. Look for her new album Passion, the awesome allness of healing love. Amy is a member of the Luminary Speakers and Performers Bureau, and her website is amysteinberg.net. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you'll join me next time. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.